Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is Molly. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, if you could go anywhere in the world right now, where would you go? Oh my God. I wasn't prepared for this. Uh, If I could go anywhere in the world right now, I'd go back to bed. Oh, Kristen, you're so clever. Well, I'm taking you on a special trip today via our podcast to Norway. Can we fly first class? The best for you, Kristen, only the best. Yes. And once we get to Norway and other um, parts of Scandinavia and the Nordic Nordic countries, we'll be treated first class all the time. Because apparently that area of the world is just... The uh, top of the line when it comes to gender equality. Yeah, supposedly Norway, Sweden, Denmark. These are just the havens for women. Right. There are these indexes that come out every year. These countries always top the list of countries that have uh, achieved equality, who have closed gender gaps, uh, who have, you know, women in powerful positions. Uh, all these all these factors we're going to talk about today because you see these stories pretty often now, mm-hmm. like... You want gender equality, you go to Norway, you go to Sweden. Go to Norway, yeah. And we wanted to know, why is Scandinavia so frequently cited as one of the best places for women? Right, because for instance, the World Economic Forum comes out every year with its gender gap index that analyzes countries across the world in terms of gender equality, the state of you know men and women comparatively in the nation. And uh, last year, like many years, like you said, Molly, in the gender gap index, we have number one, Norway, followed by Finland, Sweden, Iceland. U.S. doesn't even rank in the top so ten. The U.S. is a joke. So yeah. we have to find out. Um, we have to find out what we're lacking and some of the factors that this uh, index takes into account, economic participation, educational attainment, political empowerment, and health and survival. Now, Molly, before we go any further, the title of this podcast is Why is Scandinavia? So great for women. But you wanted to make a little bit of a geographical footnote before we got uh, some emails saying, hey, hey, gals, you need to look at a map sometime. Right. The the countries that we're going to be throwing out there in terms of uh, fun facts for women are Norway, Sweden, Finland, Denmark and Iceland. Yes. All up together, all considered the Nordic countries. Nordic dream team. But we are well aware that if you are talking strictly Scandinavia, it's just Norway and Sweden, and sometimes Finland, which is like the sometimes why of the mm-hmm. vowels. So we're just taking a little bit of podcast license, if you will, because um, yeah. we thought Scandinavia just sounded better than Nordic Peninsula gender <laughs> dream team. True. And uh, let's get started with the dream team. Now, I think that if you're going to have an MVP on the dream team, it's got to be Norway. It's got to be Norway. I mean, because not only MVP, but also kind of most improved, because at Mm. first Sweden was really leading the pack. But Norway, man, they just really climbed to the top. And I think that, you know, as soon as you start doing searches for why is Norway good for women, you come across the maternity leave policy. So why don't we dive just straight into that? Now, Norway got a lot of headlines earlier this year when it topped Save the Children's annual Mother's Index that basically breaks down the best places in the world to be a mother. And lo and behold, Norway is apparently it. Ladies, if you want to, if you want to have a baby or 10, or whatever, <laughs> go to 
Norway. And it, well, specifically, I think if you want to have a baby and a career at the same time, yeah. because what they're really leading the, the pack on is their extravagant, especially to U.S. standards, maternity leave plan. And, you know, it's not just for women. Mm-hmm. Dads have 10 weeks in there that yeah. they can take as well. And Paid. some, and some of that time is mandatory. Like if, if the dad doesn't take it, then the mom can't use it. Some of that time can be split between the two of them. But some of it is mandatory dad time, which I think is really cool. I think that as we go through and, you know, investigate all these different factors further, I think that that's sort of the best example of how you can uh, bring up the cause of women without mm-hmm. leaving the men behind. Right. Because we have to remember we're talking about gender equality rather than, you know, women being um kind of put into the the power positions at the detriment of men. Right. And Kristen, I don't have uh, the exact numbers in front of me, but before we go on, why don't you why don't you lay out the exact deal that mothers in Norway get? So this is coming from Statistics Norway, straight from the source. And this is the this is the deal you get if you have a kid in Norway. Check this out, Molly. Forty six weeks with full pay. How does that sound to you? Sounds Glorious. 46 weeks. What's the, I, I don't know off the top of my head, the average maternity leave in the States. What, like six weeks, eight weeks? Yeah. Like three months Something. at most. Yeah. A weekend. I don't know. A long weekend. Uh, so you can take up to 46 weeks with full pay or 56 weeks at 80% pay. And that's one thing I really do like about Norway, Kristen, is this broadened definition of what part-time work can be. Mm-hmm. Because I do like that 80% plan. I think that that would make a difference to a lot of mothers I know to, to be able to view part-time not as, you know, 50-50, but like 80-20. Yeah. That one day that you don't go to the office or those few hours you leave early every day, I think, can make a big difference. Um, so I do see that how that is a uh, a benefit. Now, we have to say that a lot of the articles about Scandinavian countries do focus on these maternity leave policies. Yeah, it always goes back to maternity and paternity leave. Right. I mean, that's becoming a bigger issue as well. It's not just the fact that they're extending this benefit for women, but it's also, you know, men who are getting acknowledged as p- playing an active role in parenting, which I think speaks to gender equality and the, those kind of ideas in, in their society. The fact that it's recognized that, yeah, the woman is having the child, but There is a second half to this equation. But what about women who aren't going to have children? Yes. Because while this is a great policy for parents, you know, I feel like that's the most defining uh, policy we've been able to find so far uh, that, you know, you get this great maternity leave, you get paternity leave. We're so equal in giving um, these benefits for children. But women who have children are not the only women that hopefully would have gender equality within uh, a country. And so I think that that is what first started to maybe raise our antenna a little bit about whether this is truly a great place for women. Let's let's investigate a little further. Okay. Want to go to um, women in power at businesses? Yes. Because this is a pretty interesting thing. We've talked about quotas before and Mm -hmm. whether they work. Well, Norway has enforced quotas that um, 40% of a company's board of the biggest companies that are operating in that country must include women. Mm -hmm. And if they didn't include that, they were going to be closed down by the gender equality ombud. There's a whole position in the government who is just devoted to enforcing equality. So when Norway passed this legislation, which I I might add was a, was initiated by a male politician. It actually was not a woman who was saying, Hey, let's get more women 
on the boards because they thought it would be a good thing for business. Because kind of like when we were talking about gender quotas for political positions that a lot of countries have adopted, it's sort of the same thinking that, you know, a group of men and women sitting together in a room will come to a better decision than just a group of men or even just a group of women, mm-hmm. you know, kind of that whole collective ideals thing. And so uh, so they get all these women on the boards. And at first, some of the companies were saying, hey, you know, what? this isn't going to happen because there aren't qualified women out there. Well, lo and behold, not so. They actually had plenty of women to choose from once they actually started looking. Okay. Um, and so a lot of these companies have fulfilled the 40% quota. Now then, I think a couple of years ago, the study came out from the University of Michigan. And the headline that was grabbed from it and was circulated pretty widely throughout uh, popular media was that the the quota, the gender quota for Norway's boards had had a negative financial impact on the companies that bring these women on trying to institute gender equality hurt the bottom line. Right. The the researchers kind of teased out what the effect of the actual announcement was on the company. And some companies, it should be mentioned, had already met the quota. They already had very gender diverse boards. And these companies did not feel the effect of a drop in stock price, of, of a market ripple that these companies that were going to have to enforce the equality did feel. These companies did experience a bump, but the researchers took pains to emphasize that that was just the announcement of the new law. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't once they put the woman on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what that's part of what got distorted. Yeah, it got distorted so much, actually, that um, we went back and found an article in Fast Company magazine where the journalists tracked down the researchers and wanted them to clarify their findings because the, the, the headline is so sensational um, that they really missed the big nuance in it that, hey, this wasn't an impact of gender. It was more stockholders getting nervous about the experience level because the fact of the matter was, a lot of the women who were taking these board positions did not have CEO level experience like a lot of the men might have. But I mean, come to the States and it would be, you'd be hard pressed to find an equal amount of men and women who have had that C level experience because those doors haven't been open. So it's like you've got to break through the ceiling at some point in order to, you know, have more women fill, fill those ranks. And then there was a further criticism of this law in that there was a group of 70 women that they called the golden skirts. Mm-hmm. And these women were experienced that they had, you know, maybe had some experience uh, at the CEO level in the past. Um, and there were 70 women, but they were on 300 of the boards so that mm-hmm. they were doing, you know, more than one. Some of them were doing, you know, up to a dozen. And people were like, how is this actually the equality if this small group of women is the one that's taking advantage of it? But it should be noted that's often what men do. Yeah. Men sit on several boards. So I think that, you know, this sort of added to my confusion, Kristen, about why Norway is still going to be number one, because even despite the fact that they've got these forced quotas, they said, hey, we didn't have any problem filling these roles because there are women with this experience. It's still a story in that it uh, and it was an easy to distort story. Mm hmm. Um, so it, it still made me wonder, can this really be some bastion of gender equality if if this is still a story and not just something that happened and we got over it and Norway did just fine? Because Norway's market did do, did do just fine. In fact, the, one of the um, leading politicians who had been effective in bringing this law into place was like, this is going to be our main export is gender equality. 
But, I mean, it was a really controversial export that the rest of the world didn't understand and didn't get right when they reported on it. Yeah, they didn't get right. Now, I think that we should say that other European countries have followed in suit, um, Netherlands and Spain among them, but none of them have really enforced it to the degree that Norway has. And if we're talking about exporting this kind of model, this kind of gender equality model on the corporate level, I mean, we were talking earlier, I mean, the big question is, could could you take it to some place like, oh, I don't know, the United States of America and have it work out? Probably not. Probably not. We've talked about quotas before and, you know, we've heard from you listeners, you don't, you don't love the idea. Yeah. And if... Having quotas is what makes Norway top a gender equality index. Yeah. Will the U.S. ever top an index? Or can you only get to the top of this index through artificial measures? Right. You know, it just, it was another thing that kind of unraveled my faith in Norway. And I don't want to discourage any Norwegian listeners. I hope you write in and explain to me how it's, how it is actually a great place. Right. But so far, I'm a little frustrated. Well, yeah, because I think it's, it, this too is a product of, uh, you know, or a reflection of how the media really can, can kind of grab onto one idea and just, it circulates like wildfire. You know, mm-hmm. if you need, if you need a, a reference point for gender equality, for where things are good for women, for where, you know, maternity leave and paternity, paternity leave are really great, just go to Norway. You yeah. Know? So it just kind of becomes this knee jerk reaction where you don't stop and look at the actual statistics behind everything and beyond, you know, 56 weeks of paid leave. Right. Um, now to talk about how the media distorts things, Kristen, shall we talk about an article that was in Bloomberg? Yes. We'll jump countries. We'll go to Sweden. Um, and the headline is Swedish sex equality won't help Mona Salen's election b- bid. And this is an article from September 15th, 2010. And it's the question of whether this woman, Mona Salen, will become the country's first female prime minister. Now, right away, the headline kind of grabs me because it says Swedish sex equality. So right away, you know, we've got this knee-jerk reaction that you spoke about that Scandinavia equals gender equality. Yeah. Sweet. And with Sweden leading the pack too, right behind yeah, Norway. They just got, just got told by Norway in that last poll. And so then the whole article is about how Sweden is so, you know, about Sweden just loves equality, but yet they're not going to elect this woman to this position of power. And you go on and read the article and this woman, did nothing wrong. Her party is screwed up right now yeah, beyond she's a, belief. She's the head of the Social Democrats party. So, you know, it's it's about how they pinned all the problems of this party on how on this woman and were able to make it a story because she is a woman. And that sort of sounded very reminiscent to me of, of Hillary Clinton's bid. Mm-hmm. People were saying, oh, you know, she is going to be elected or not elected based on whether she's a woman. When in, you know, in, in reality, she is a woman who is running just like a man on a policy, on a platform of certain beliefs. And it just so happens that Mona Salen's beliefs aren't in vogue in Sweden right now. Yeah. And yet somehow it's her fault because she's a woman. Right. And, li- and listen to this. Uh, the Bloomberg says that in, in interviewing 30 leading social Democrats, they said that if Salen steps down and if her party loses, then that would make it, quote, unlikely Sweden will get a female leader anytime soon. And they go on to quote a guy saying, you know, it is kind of paradoxical (laughs) that we've never had a female prime minister. 
And I mean, yeah, is having a, a female president or prime minister the absolute end all definition of gender equality? No. But yes, Sweden, <laughs> it is a little paradoxical. And you're right. You know, the, it is being twisted into, you know, it's not the social democrats failing. It's this woman politician failing. Yeah, this is another quote from a columnist at a Swedish newspaper who said, it's clear the party needs a makeover and Salen hasn't managed to do that. She simply gets the blame for the party's long-running crisis. So the party's in a long-running crisis, but yet the headline is about how gender equality is not going to help this woman get elected. So it's, it's, I, I, and this is the question we have about Scandinavia, and we hope we have some Scandinavian listeners who can help us out. Right. Is it just our media that distorts this sort of equality in the way that I think equality can be distorted throughout the United States? Um, you know, I was asking the question of Kristen, would Scandinavia, if it's so equal between the genders, would they need a stuff mom never told you? Yeah. Or would this be redundant in Sweden? So is it just a matter of our media screwing this up or is it really just not as equal? I mean, is equality a given or does our media distort it? Well, then it's also interesting when you hop over to Iceland where you have um, an openly gay female prime minister. OK, and uh, there was this uh, column in The Guardian uh, with the headline is Iceland, the most feminist land in the world, partly because they have you know this this female leader, which is great you mm-hmm. know it's very she's very progressive etc but it was all based around iceland's initiatives to outlaw brothels essentially mm-hmm. they called them strip clubs so at first you're just reading like oh you know this country might be just sex negative <laughs> but then you know it turns out that what they're calling strip clubs actually are brothels and and covers for sex trafficking and so they talk about how the country as a whole has this belief that women women Women's bodies aren't for sale, mm-hmm. that, you know, they must be protected. And uh, they talked about how this strong women's movement in Iceland was affecting change. Mm-hmm. And this, to me, was the only point in which I kind of understood why you might call the Nordic country so um, progressive is because the country does listen to this strong women's movement that doesn't allow itself to get fractured and splintered like yeah. ours does. Yeah, because, I mean, the very fact, like, we're talking about uh, strip clubs and prostitution, you know, within um, feminism today, there are two distinct camps of people who are completely for it, you know, saying that it's a way that women empower themselves through the use and sale, if you will, of their bodies and are very, you know, I mean, they're, in control of the whole operation. And then the other women who say, no, it's completely degrading. And you, you can go at it for days mm-hmm. and go around in circles. So yeah, I think that there, you make a good point about the fact that at least there's some kind of um, unified cause to get around. But once again, I don't know that, um, you know, having the number of strip clubs really, again, like it, it's, well, it just brings us to our larger question, and this is where we're going to need our listeners' help. We need you to write in. Yes. What is the definition of a gender-equal country? Yeah. Because the way the media has spun it here is that um, one quali- one definition would be that women can balance family and career mm-hmm. by having an adequate uh, amount of maternity leave, as fathers can as well. Right. The other definition would be that you see women in a lot of positions of power mm-hmm. in Norway's quotas. And then the third, I guess, would be that you can close down your strip clubs. I mean, yeah. those are the three definitions you can find when you start doing research on this. Because the one thing that we haven't 
talked about is going back to the statistics Norway. There's a huge packet of information that you can find online. Molly will post it in our blog and it's a, a, a statistical gendered breakdown um, uh, from Norway, directly from Norway. And when you start to look at, say, pay gaps between men and women, mm-hmm. the career paths that men and women take, for instance, the female dominated sectors and then the more male dominated engineering sciences and all of that, and also violence against women, the rape of um, rapes and things like that, you start to get a very similar background picture to what's going on in the United States. Mm-hmm. So while, yes, they have a fairly significant gender pay gap in Norway, as they do in the States, we have issues with violence against women, as they do. We still have this issue of, you know, kind of the girls' educational path versus the boys' educational path. Um, and then that leads on to, you know, the gendered career paths, if you will. So really, are we just boiling gender equality down to maternity leave, which I would find a little bit questionable because that then just places, you know, the only value on women for their reproductive capabilities. Right. So that's that's what we found. And like I said, there may be something that our media distorts yeah. because we hope that we have some listeners from these areas who will A invite us to stay with them. Yeah. And B We'd love to know find out for ourselves. And B tell us what it's actually like. So yeah, young women in in Norway, Sweden, I wanna I wanna know what it's like. Are we are we just missing the mark? I mean it's day to day like, is it a gender equal playground? Yeah. And everyone else, everyone else, we want to know what a good definition of a gender equal society is. So the email is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And to finish up, let's read one email from that email address. All right. Since we've been pretty international, this podcast, Kristen, why don't we, why don't we stay over in Europe? Cause I'm going to read an email from Richard in Northern Ireland. Great idea. Richard writes, in Northern Ireland, we don't consider an instrument like the flute in any way a female-oriented instrument. I would almost say more men play the flute to a certain extent than women due to our tradition of flute bands. Most flute bands will have a male majority depending on it being a truly loyalist or nationalist or just a marching band, which is usually mixed both in community and gender. In contrast to the lambeg drum, which would be considered a male instrument played by many women, though rarely on marches due to the distance and weight involved. When considering instruments like the harp, its social class is more considered, unfortunately stopping many working class people from ever being introduced to them. If you haven't heard what type of music is being played by our marching bands, I would suggest looking up Field Marshal Montgomery Pipe Band. So thank you, Richard. And uh, sounds like there's a lot of male flautists. Yes. In Ireland. So to all the male flautists out there, send us a line. Uh, our email is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can find us on Facebook and share your thoughts with other listeners out there as well. You can hit us up on Twitter. And then finally, you can read our blog where Molly will be posting all of these statistics and links to lots of information about Scandinavia very soon. And you can find that on our blog at Stuff Mom Never Told You, and it's at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you